0: This week on Home Dunk, John Darneal of the Mountain Goats talks about why he loves watching other guys punch each other in the head.
1: I hit a home dunk. I wish that you had shown up. I played over my head; everything was off the charts. I jumped out the gymnasium and knocked it out the park. I hit did a, a handstand. I hit a grand it's a great day for the fans, man! I got three sacks and broke three bats. I gave the crowd money plus free snacks. I did a hat trick and a backflip. It's on ESPN Classic, and you weren't there, and it hurt me to watch them retire. my jersey. I hit a home dunk. Thank you, Open
0: Mic Eagle, for that theme song. It is earwormy. I'm John Mo, and uh, I'm really excited. Uh, coming up is going to be my conversation with John Darneal of the mountain goats uh who is a sensitive singer songwriter but also a huge fan of boxing and pro wrestling and uh, he's going to talk about uh why his his favorite boxing match of all time was some obscure match in 1980 where guys just beat the crap out of each other really fast and for a very long time um For right now, we're going to talk with Mike Fotis. Hello, Mike. Hi, John. Mike is a writer, actor, performer. You often will hear him on Wits or see him on Wits. If you go to see a Wits, you'll see me and hear me there, too. It's a show we work on. And then sometimes we talk about sports here on Home Dunk. And, uh, Mike, I feel like I almost don't know how to bring this up with you, but uh, Jay Cutler appears to be coming back. To the
1: Chicago Bears to play quarterback for at least one more season. I just don't. I really don't understand this. Like you, you have a whole new staff. Yeah. You could go in an entirely new direction, and then you decide to stay with the one thing on your team that is just not working. And they got rid of their wide receiver. They got rid of Brandon Marshall, which I'm not okay with. I'm one of the few people I know. I I don't understand why we got rid of him. For Jake Cutler. Okay, but these both seem like
0: kind of uh, crazy annoying guys. Why is one crazy annoying guy acceptable and the other crazy annoying guy not?
1: Because one crazy annoying guy was able to catch a lot more footballs than Jay Cutler was able to throw to him, if that makes any sense yeah. at all. Okay. <laughs> I think the only positive this is John Fox is their new coach. Yes. And maybe, just maybe, he's going back. When did football start? you know like uh, in the 20s or something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that. So let's just assume until like 1980 they didn't really pass. I think that is actually true. Yeah, they handed the ball to Earl Campbell yeah, for like 60 much years all the time. Yeah. I think maybe that's John Fox's plan. Okay, is just to have Jay Cutler hand the ball off to Forte every single time. <laughs> It's all I can think of. We're gonna we're a rugby team from here on. But out. why
0: pay somebody all that money uh, and not have him throw the ball? Because that it's it's like Jeff George. Remember Jeff George? Yeah, I do. It's it's the same thing that they used to say about Jeff George: million dollar arm, ten cent head, and uh, and you know. I hope nobody ever says that about me. <laughs> million dollar beard, <laughs> ten cent ten head. Cent head. Um, but he's got talent. He's got well, he's got muscles anyway.
1: He's got a very strong arm. You know what he has? What? He has too much confidence. Oh. I think he was raised by parents and I don't if <laughs> this is gonna be a big assumption. Yeah. He was raised by parents who told him he could he could do anything. Oh, it's the worst. So he like there are times where he throws a ball and there's not even a window large enough for a ball to go through. Yeah, well, and that, that's his decision?
0: That was the criticism made cuz I I, <laughs> I was a big fan of uh Trestman, the the coach that they that they let go. I don't really know much. I didn't follow the team very closely, so I don't really know a lot about it, but it struck me that he was uh he had worked a lot in Canada. He sure did. He was Minnesotan and he was complicated. He was, and so he
1: was all those things all
0: I found all those things endearing and he wanted to run very complicated schemes
1: and then Cutler's response was yeah why don't I just throw it really far down the field to nobody yeah I mean they would cut to Tressman didn't make a lot of facial expressions he didn't he'd be a good Poker player, yeah. But they'd cut to him after Cutler threw a ball where there were four linebackers and two defensive ends uh. on the wide receiver, and he would just he just have this puzzled look, and he'd look at his clipboard <laughs> just to make sure that that wasn't the play he called. And then when he's like, "Oh, I didn't call that play," you yeah. could see like the the tiniest tinge of frustration on Tressman's face.
0: I'm thinking of what you said about about parents who said that he could do anything, and you know, throw a football far, albeit to the wrong guys, is is one of those things. I try not to tell my kids they can do anything because (laughs) I try to... I think the best thing you could teach a kid, one of the best things you could teach a kid is, here's what you actually suck at. Yeah. Here are the things that uh, you can spend a lot of time working on this, you know, but you're never going to play in the NBA. You're never going to, uh, you know, be a math wizard. It's just
1: not in your DNA. I'm really grateful my parents taught me limits yeah I remember distinctly my dad trying to teach me algebra and like then this look came over his face (laughs) and he was like oh oh you're not ever gonna get this and he didn't say that he's a very kind man you know what I mean Uh like his dreams that I would follow in his pharmacist footsteps kind of went away Uh you know he never really pushed that anyway but I could tell that he realized at that moment that Things were different. And he never was like, Hey, why don't you take another math class? (laughs) You know what I mean? He was like, I have an idea. Why don't you pursue theater? Right.
0: Well, and you know, it's for Jay Cutler, he's still there. Like all the all the people who said everything's gonna be fine have been kind of right. I guess so.
1: (laughs) Jay Cutler, like if football was a punt, pass, and kick competition, he'd do great. Yeah, I would draft him every year. Yeah. But it's it's more than that, John it
0: 's oh. just more than that, so that 's uh so your heart is broken. my heart is ambivalent uh because uh the Seahawks, uh, the team I follow, have traded for Jimmy Graham, tight end of the New Orleans Saints most notable of late for insisting during the last uh, arbitration round that he was actually a wide receiver. I remember that. And they said, no, you're a tight end. Note where you line up (laughs) on the field. You got to admire that confidence, though. You got to admire it. And as a wide receiver, he would have been paid a lot more. And he wasn't a wide receiver, so he wasn't. But they traded away their center. They they traded away Max Unger, uh, who is not only one of the characters in The Odd Couple, (laughs) but the starting center for the Seattle Seahawks, and uh, that's that makes me really nervous for some reason because I've heard, and I'm not smart enough to know if this is true. I've heard that like the center is a way more important position than you think. It's the quarterback of the offensive line.
1: Let me. It's it works like this. So let's say you are worried about an army that's attacking you. Yes. So you build a I'm wall. Always worried about. Yeah, that. and you should be. Sure. But like you forget to build. You leave a giant hole in the center of your wall, right? That's a bad thing, yeah. And that's where the army is going to go through.
0: Exactly, and and just because you have Jimmy Graham, it's not going to stop. It's not going. It's like it's like on The Walking Dead. Have you been watching The Walking Dead lately?
1: Zombies freak me out. (laughs) So no. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, I'm not going to. I don't think I spoil anything. But they they find this place where some other non-zombie people are living, and there's very strong. Fortified walls all around it, mm-hmm. and and then you just—it's uh, just a matter of waiting for some zombie to get through that wall. Because there's no way a zombie isn't getting through that wall.
1: Yeah, is they, that what the show is really? It's really it's a lot constantly of that waiting for a yeah zombie to come. It's
0: it's well, I think it's in the contract or something. It's in some arrangement that there has to be uh, zombies popping out of nowhere when you, you least expect it, and then you got to stab them in the head to make them. Double dead
1: I guess I don't know (laughs) I've always been sort of like With the whole zombie genre I know this is a sports podcast But there's just things That don't freak me out And zombies not so much
0: Zombies freak you out
1: When they brought up the whole Well not as much When they brought up the whole Zombies can now run fast Right. That's when the game got up for me. Yes. Yes. As scaredy cat as I am about things, I could walk faster than most and that's like what, the Romero zombies. That's
0: like. what always bothers me on The Walking Dead. They're, they're a little bit faster than the Romero zombies, but they're not the, the World War Z movie zombies that okay. are just like track stars. And so I I always say get on the other side of a door with a doorknob and you'll be fine. There's no way these things can manipulate the complexity of a doorknob. Yeah. You know, or go upstairs and just stand at the top of a flight of stairs. Let's see them try to get up some stairs. Yeah, just
1: like attach a couple broomsticks. Yeah, and then just keep poking them just back. Keep every poking. Once in a while.
0: Eventually, you'll run out of zombies. There are only so many people in the world. Honestly, though, I
1: think Jimmy Graham's a really <laughs> did you like that segue. Yeah, I think Jimmy Graham's a really good pickup for you guys because it'll yeah. we'll give somebody Wilson, uh, Wilson, to throw to you on let's say second and one <laughs> in the Super Bowl. I don't know if that'll ever come up. <laughs> Yeah, you know,
0: somebody who can catch a ball instead of our, our all-undrafted free agent-wide receiving core yeah. is uh, maybe not not the worst thing. How about this one? Sam Bradford of the St. Louis Rams—I almost said Los Angeles Rams because I'm old—traded uh, to the Eagles, apparently, for Nick Foles, a quarterback, starting quarterback for starting quarterback straight-up trade.
1: Uh, Chip Kelly doesn't like anybody on his team. He the coach hates the everybody on his team. <laughs> He's just getting rid of everybody. It's I think like...
0: it's a Philadelphia thing. Like, if you're in Philadelphia long enough, you'll just start to
1: hate everybody else unless you're terry gross then they'll yeah. be delighted by them i was shocked to find out that she did her show in philadelphia because yeah. i just assumed everybody was always in a pretty bad mood chip kelly is treating his team like i treat a team on madden like on the video game, uh-huh. where i'm just like oh i'm just gonna trade i take i turn off all the trade restrictions and right. all the salary cap stuff and i just put together the team i want yeah because i'm gonna play for an afternoon and that's about it right right and i was listening to all these trades and i'm like oh Good on him, man. It's a good Madden trade. He's just pretending it's Madden. (laughs) He said nobody's stopping him. It's brilliant.
0: Right, right. And, uh, yeah, there's something about Eagles quarterbacks where it always seems like somebody plays for the Eagles and then that guy gets hurt, the quarterback gets hurt. Then the other guy filling in for him does surprisingly well. Mm -hmm. And then everybody gets excited about that guy. And then reality comes crashing down on him, too.
1: Yeah, it's like... It's like they you start dating somebody brand new, even though you're not totally over the breakup. Right, and it seems good for a little while, And uh-huh. then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, oh, he can't throw the ball to the sidelines. That's a problem." <laughs> that's what I
0: want in a man.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm looking for in a
0: relationship. <laughs> uh, all right, the other the other big uh, move so far in free agency is uh, Indomican Sue. Yeah, that's Sioux. it. Sue, Sue uh, to the Dolphins for a six-year. $114 million deal, $60 million of which is guaranteed. Was the rest just incentives? The rest, if
1: they feel like
0: giving it to him.
1: <laughs> if he doesn't get
0: suspended? <laughs> wow. That's a lot of money, man. Okay. What this is, this is a referendum on whether it's worth it if someone's a jerk. Because right. like, for this guy to be as dominant as he is in so few years with his first team before that team said, you know what? Just go. Yeah. We're We're not going to, we're not not going to pay you. you We don't want you around. Um, And uh, because he's, he stomps people and he's kind of mean. So he goes to the dolphins and uh, maybe this will really pay off. Maybe it won't, but it's at least it's bold, at least as spectators, in the Grand Theater, the Grand Guignol Theater of football, we get to observe something large
1: and risky. I like to think that Don Shula was watching this like, yeah. on television, and he just like got out of his chair and he's like, maybe I'm going to give the Dolphins a call. Just one more <laughs> shot. And he calls Marino, and he's like, what do you think, buddy? Are you in? Are you in or are you out?
0: how about the fact and i think they might have changed their logo recently how about the fact that the dolphin on the dolphin's logo was also wearing a helmet but the helmet just said m so he was wearing a different helmet (laughs) than the logo of which he is part
1: also it doesn't protect his snout also it covers up his (laughs) blowhole exactly also it does he doesn't have shoulder pads on which i guess makes sense He's going to die out there on the field if he thinks he's going to. I mean,
0: maybe if they could set up a place kicking thing, a field goal kicking thing in the water and he could flap it with his tail, he could be a kicker or a punter. But I don't think that's even legal. It's probably not. He'd be more accurate than Cutler is. Do, do you think that uh, how many dolphins do you think it would take to uh, to defeat Ndamukong Sue? Like if so you line up. Let's say you have are an, they on land though? They are okay. So you have an all dolphins offense, as many as you need, and all you have is sue on defense. He does have the benefit of legs, um, but he can only be in one place at a time. The dolphins, hmm. supposedly pretty smart, um, can uh, are in a position where you can have as many of them as you want, and you just have to, I guess, hope that they. Knock the ball around long enough so that they succeed, and I, they don't get killed by
1: Ndamukong Su. I figured it out. Okay, so you have. I was most stalling the, to let you do the math. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, you have most. You line up the dolphins just like you would, like like an I an I formation, right? Sure. So it's really stacked, and then you have your biggest dolphin, like in the center, and then you put a bunch of dolphins behind him, stacked up, right? Like like. Jenga? Yeah. Exactly like Jenga. And okay. then they fire their blowhole <laughs> at once and it pushes the really large dolphin into into Sioux. Yeah. And knocks him over. And then all those so you, dolphins. You'd get like a dolphin that's as big as a manatee yeah you got like you gotta you gotta hire a morbidly obese dolphin right but okay. that dolphin's looking for something to do yeah and now you can finally help out his and if dolphin he's eaten that much maybe
0: he maybe he's a bit of a crazy fat dolphin and, oh, and yeah. it's like chewing and gnawing at sue you
1: need a fat dolphin with a chip on its <laughs> fin <laughs> but if you can find that yeah. then you're gonna be in real good shape yeah how about against
0: Jay Cutler? How many how many uh, dolphins would have to be on the field before one of them would intercept a Jay Cutler half pass? A half, a half a dolphin. Half a dolphin. Half a dolphin. A dolphin
1: sawed down the middle, I think even vertically. Yeah, vertically, standing <laughs> behind him. Yeah. He'd still find a way to throw an interception. <laughs> throw it to the,
0: to the now dead, clearly, dolphin, who would still find a way to intercept the pass. I
1: used to be on Cutler's side. I just felt like this was the perfect time to... Cut ties and be done. Yeah. Ugh, this is hard. I wonder if we could get a dolphin to play quarterback. But That'd then who
0: else would you get to play quarterback? Sam Bradford, apparently. Apparently was, Sam Bradford. Could, or Nick Foles. Yeah. Or just Sean Hill. Sean Hill. Yeah. <laughs> just go to a park, yep. see who's playing. Yep. I think uh Steve De Berg. <laughs> Steve DeBerg. <laughs> Didn't he play till he was like seventy five years yeah, old? Yeah, he's still playing. He's still playing he's for somebody somewhere. Yeah. Steve Deberg, man. Uh, well, all right. So, and I love this fact about the the Sioux contract. Like everybody's going crazy. This is a huge contract. It's out of control. Sixty million dollars guaranteed. I, I did some googling on sixty million dollars, and uh, it's the same amount that the Bulls gave Ben Wallace in two thousand six to suck really bad briefly. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and then somebody on Twitter pointed out it's the same amount Curtis Granderson got to sign with the Mets. So it's it's Curtis Granderson money, but then it also involves people like steadily killing you, yeah, uh, on the front line. So kids don't play football
1: ever. No, never play foot. Just play baseball. Yeah, play basketball. You're gonna get that money, and most of it, that's all guaranteed, right? Yeah, I guess yeah. the 60s guaranteed for Sue too. But yeah, just play that or tennis. You get lots of endorsements for tennis. You get lots of
0: endorsements. You don't have to
1: fight dolphins hardly. Oh, can you imagine how good a dolphin would be at tennis, on the clay? Yeah, <laughs> just like. That, I think on a clay court, a You think dolphin,
0: it could get around a little bit? I would think on grass, it could maybe like use its flippers to kind of nudge
1: itself forward. I think it's pretty good on grass because yeah. of what you said. I think that's right. Yeah. But I think on clay— he would keep a little bit of, he or she would keep a little bit of water in his blowhole sure so just to keep the clay court damp so he could really slide around yeah
0: I mean if they're hydrating during during the match yeah. I think they're fine I think they become actually pretty
1: intimidating yeah I mean I would just skip the hard court part of the season because the Dolphins not gonna we both know that the Dolphins yeah. not gonna do very good but on the other two make it set Mike Fotis we'll talk to you next week bye I did a home dunk
0: John Darniel of the Mountain Goats is with us from his home where he's taking care of a baby. Hello, John.
2: Hey, how's it going?
0: It's well. I tried to get you on the show a while ago, but then you were having the baby, and then you got the flu, and then it looks like you've been super busy with your book. How's your life
2: going? It's, it's mayhem. It's just, it's, it's all the time, all the time, all the time. It's all right. There's worse problems to have.
0: Yeah. Are you finding time to uh, to write songs?
2: Um, I, I mean, the thing is, an album coming out, so I'm not really doing songs at the moment, but I mean, I always manage to, to, to sneak a couple in. I write on tour now, too, so once I leave for tour, I'm in good shape. Yeah.
0: When does the new album come out?
2: April
0: 7th. And how I was was on Spotify, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling endlessly. How many albums have you put out? I don't know. You don't even know at this point. Um, Well, let's talk about about boxing, because when I heard that you were a super huge boxing fan, that kind of surprised me, because I got to say, I always kind of take boxing from the point of view of it's, you know, it's it's corrupt and is brutal and it's, you know, people die all the time. And uh, you seem like more of a sensitive, uh, enlightened guy than that.
2: I don't know. <laughs> but I, I think I think you're bringing some suppositions about acoustic guitarists to the, to the table there. <laughs> I mean, like pretty much, I mean, every songwriter ever that I've known, and boxing is just like the one that the writers like, right? Because boxing is such a, such a plain individual, you know, individual against the world metaphor. I mean, Bob Dylan loved boxers; everybody loves boxers.
0: Huh? So, when did it start for you? When did the interest start for you?
2: Um, when Ali uh, fought Spinks, the first two uh, uh, Ali Spinks fights, there was a lot of buzz around those. When I was a kid, and uh, and the hype was just massive. You know, it was like you know, Spinks beat him the first time, and uh, and and that was a big deal. It was like this was a young fighter unthroning the king. Even though Ali had been beat before, it wasn't like he was an undefeated fighter. Undefeated became a thing. Rocky Marciano, obviously, but but like I think after Tyson's reign, people really started looking for people to stay undefeated. Whereas Ali had had lost fights, but, but Spinks beating him was a big cultural moment, and Ali beating him in the rematch was a huge cultural moment.
0: Was it the Ali personality that drew you to that, or, or just them being matched as fighters?
2: Well, uh, his personality, but also his style, you can, even though his style was not what it used to be by the time of that fight, he's, you know, this is a, an exciting guy to watch, but he also, you know, I mean, he was just like such a, such an available hero. He was like, you know, he was, he was brash and he was arrogant, but he was also, it seemed like there was so much love in his craft. He was just a guy you wanted to like. You know?
0: Yeah. And I remember back then too. I mean, what what year was the, the fight you're talking about? Like mid to late seventies?
2: I want to say 77. Yeah. Um, let me look it up here. Um, but he fought from seventy-seven all the way to ninety-five. Gee whiz! That's oh there's a problem with boxing. People tend to fight way too long. Yeah. Um, he beat Muhammad Ali on February fifteenth, nineteen seventy-eight, in yeah. Las Vegas, and he gave the title right back um, less than a year later in September. Can you even imagine in today's boxing scene? Right, the rematch of the championship match coming inside of what February? March, April, May, June, July, August—inside of seven months. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it well, was a very different game then. <laughs>
0: I was going to say back then. I remember watching championship fights like on ABC's Wide World of Sports on yep. a weekend afternoon.
2: No, that's exactly when I would have seen it. It would have been on Wide World of Sports with Cosell calling. But the rematch was inside of seven months. I mean, now they would wait at least twelve months. And and uh, well, I mean, the thing is, like, it is better for fighters not to fight as much as they used to. And that is sort of that's the conflict with loving boxing. It's like it's a it's a pretty savage sport, but uh if you like it, you like it, you know.
0: Do you have a favorite weight class that you kinda of stick with?
2: I mean the thing is no, because it, it varies where the action is. Like right now the heavyweight class is no good, but the heavyweights of the seventies, boy, that was really an exciting time to be watching heavyweights. Um, it's the lower weight classes these days. I mean, if I was really super active in keeping up, which I'm not anymore, I would be following, like, straw weights and fly weights because there's a lot of great ones um, over in the Philippines and Thailand. You know, they're not famous and they're never going to be known, but they're they're putting in exciting fights.
0: Uh Nina's passing me a note, my producer. Why do you love Pung Saklek Wanjikom?
2: Oh, he's just a very exciting fighter. You should. <laughs> he's one of those guys. Um, he's a Thai fighter. If you go to see a rock band, right, and by the end of the night, you feel like there's no way these guys have a show tomorrow night because they're giving too much. You uh-huh. know? Like every song is as, as much as you know, the singer, especially the who people are usually honed in on there, right? And if a guy just seems to be leaving it all on the stage, then you really feel like you got your money's worth, right? You really feel like you had a special experience that, you, you know, somehow going to try and figure it out for tomorrow because he's not even thinking about the future in any way. He's just that focused on, on whatever we have going on in this room. That's punk like Wong Chun He just like he goes up there and he just throws punches, throws punches. Not a lot of defense. Just he throws punches, and it's really exciting.
0: So he's like the 1976 Patty Smith of contemporary boxing.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, uh, James Brown. You know, James Brown would just go these right. long, long shows and dance the entire night. You know, it's like, you go, how can he have a show tomorrow? How can he? And he did. He would have like two shows in a day doing that. <laughs> like that real artistry, you know, like commitment to your craft.
0: He had a guy, too, who was, you know, coming on stage and giving him a robe and helping him calm down.
2: Yeah, he'd throw the robe off and come back. So, the hardest for the man in show business. He was for real. And musically, that guy was just so far ahead of the curve for so long.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned. How a lot of acoustic guitarists, singer-songwriters, are fans of boxing. Could you? Do you have a why? <laughs> why is that the case? Do you think?
2: I mean, I think because I mean, I think artists generally. Why? Why acoustic guys? I don't know. I mean, I think in part because if you start playing an acoustic guitar and singing a the song, there's a lot of weird cultural assumptions that I think were born in the '50s and '60s that have stuck like barnacles to the hull of a ship to the craft. It's like there was a time. When a guy with an acoustic guitar, was likely to be playing folk songs. It was actually a very short window of time that that was true, mm. right? But but the image of the folk singer with the acoustic guitar, who is you know showing the part you play, persists very strongly. So you're sort of up against it, you know, when you when you're trying to, to play your craft, you're, you're you're bringing a lot of you know. You're 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 battling these sort of unseen demons, yeah. of, Peter Paul of, of, and Mary assumption. kind of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Peter Paul. The other thing, the other thing is a lot of these people who who the standard bearers for that that image, they made much better records than people actually tend to know. Like James Taylor is another one who, who people say, oh, well, mellow old James Taylor. Well, James Taylor's an amazing guitarist, incredible harmonist, and a songwriter of rare vision and craft. But he's sort of you know this aura of the '70s. Uh, hangs around his shoulders in a way that, that prevents people from actually listening to the records and seeing if they're good or not right. uh, so I mean I think boxing in that way is like a person getting hit for no reason and having to defend himself for no reason <laughs> other than he's chosen to stand in a place where somebody's going to hit him right I mean it's not it's not just songwriters it's just you know I think everybody can relate to boxing if they think about it hard enough.
0: It is kind of, I mean, you think about if you go up on stage with just you and a guitar and a bunch of people who've paid money to see you, you know, that is, you're kind of, you're you're intentionally putting yourself in a very vulnerable spot where someone might. Not only that,
2: though, it's a bunch of people out there. People congregating together are likely to talk and they're used to in rock clubs. They can talk at a certain level. Nobody on stage will have any idea. A guy with a guitar has to actually defeat the whole room. Right? The guy has to, like, prevent people from exercising their natural proclivity for conversation. and You know, you have to silence the room and the show doesn't work, um, and that is a challenge. And the other thing is, like, songwriting, writing generally, there's that, that idea of trying to make something happen where there was nothing, you know, to tell a story that... It communicates, and communication is itself a struggle or a fight, right? Uh, whereas other sports, team sports, you know, that's a different sort of metaphor. That's a metaphor for getting along with people. But boxing is a metaphor for individual struggle, and so is performing as a solo artist, right?
0: Do you have a boxer that, uh, that you identify with <laughs> as, as this boxer fought his opponents? Uh, it measures up to you doing your craft on stage?
2: Uh, nobody would have heard of caveman lee right <laughs> tell me <laughs> uh, about caveman lee I, I like i like these fighters that nobody's ever heard of it was a legendary fight uh, i was actually at a great moment where me and a writer named frank bill were doing a conversation on stage with david Rees and and frank's from indiana i was born there but he grew up there and uh and david's uh sort of persona for this was why would anybody be into boxing and me and frank were sort of explaining it and uh and the fight I turned to as an example of where, if you watch this and you can't feel it, you know, you're dead inside. It was Man Lee versus John LeCicero. Uh, this is not a title fight. I don't think if it was, it was for a, a tidy title. And there will be really remembers it, except for boxing fiends. Frank Bill immediately goes, that is a great fight. Right? <laughs> and it's just this thing where these two guys in a building somewhere in Indiana are just you know, beating each other senseless, shortening one another's lives. Right? I mean, that's, like, that's what happens when you go to a boxing ring, is you give a piece of yourself to your craft, right? right. It's like often, like you and me are doing an interview. This isn't going to take anything out of us, right? It may <laughs> wear your voice down a little bit. Not much. You're not going to suffer as it... a result of having interviewed me, and I'm not going to suffer as a result of having sat here. But if I get into a boxing ring, there is a very real chance that my life is shorter, that I will have my brain for less time, right? I won't be able to be myself as long as I would otherwise have hoped to be. So I'm actually making the sacrifice the thing that I, you know, to entertain people in part and to make money, but uh, but I mean to entertain people, is this noble in that, right?
0: Well, what was different about the Caveman Lee fight from from all other fights?
2: Just, it, I mean, it's just constant. It's one of those things where you go, okay, well, somebody just stop this fight. Yeah. <laughs> or somebody's going to get knocked out, and it just keeps going. I mean, it goes on and on. These old fights—they don't let them happen anymore, and they're right to not do it. But when you're watching two guys who can absorb a lot of punishment, by choosing to go on when the stakes are low enough that you'd think, well, God, you know, just lie down and die, you know, just, just stop. <laughs> right. you know? I mean, it's like, cause you or I would do that in a minute. It'd be like two, two punches. Like, cool, man, yeah. what do you want from me? Take the thing that you want from me and let me get out of this <laughs> ring. you know? And, uh, and these guys just keep going. It's very, it's a, it's an exciting fight with a lot of push pull.
0: And what year was this?
2: Do you think? Uh, I feel like it's like 80, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, when I when I look at the boxers, and I've been in one fist fight in my life, and I lost <laughs> swiftly, um, but I always think, what is the minimum amount I could take uh, and still get paid for technically appearing in this fight? But I, I think it's just, I if I'm watching boxing, I'm marveling at the mentality that got this person into this situation in the first place.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's. I mean, well, I mean. It's hard to say. because I mean, uh, so old, old fighters often, you know, uh, would have been somebody who did fight a lot, and so well now I can make a living at this. But right. uh, but other people are interested in the form of it, you know, because it's, it, it's not like a street fight. You know, a street fight, you know, you you aren't defense is not right. it's, it's not a thing. Which have someone like Floyd Mayweather, who's a genius of defense. You know, he's like half of his fighting is watching how he is. Noting the angles and parabolas of his opponent, and adjusting on the fly, right? being able to to learn about them, you know, as he watches them, and he doesn't tell he studied tape too. But he's like, you know, he is adjusting as he goes, and he and he's bending and weaving and dodging and ducking uh, in real time, and placing his punches really carefully in a way that if you were a sweet right, you go, what? Oh, I, I, I I threw my fist, and by the time he got there, the guy was gone, right? But this doesn't happened to Floyd Mayweather. He like he knows where the guy's going to be.
0: Mm. Um, let's talk about, about some new songs you've been putting out, uh, that have to do with pro wrestling. You have one about, uh, a, a heel turn by a face, a, a good guy becoming a bad guy. And, uh, right. another one about Chavo Guerrero. Why the sudden, yeah. uh, spurt of interest in writing wrestling songs?
2: Well, it's not. I mean, I've, I've been doing it for a while, actually. I just had never put them all together. You know, oh. uh, I wrote one about Ox Baker years ago, uh, and I actually mentioned Chavo in the liner notes to uh, a bunch of wrestlers, Drill, uh, in the liner notes to We Shall All Be Healed. It's just something I was super into as a kid. Uh, kind of defined me being into the wrestling of the days of the regional territory. Mm-hmm. I lived in Southern California. That's where oh, I grew okay. up. Uh, I, I was the NWA territory, which is sort of the, uh, uh, it's one of the least remembered territories. Uh, it was a big deal in Southern California, but its glory days peaked early. Freddie Blassie uh, uh, was a huge character there, and they actually had, I don't know if it was a record gate, but Blassie versus Tolos took place at the Coliseum. That's how huge, Wow, that's how big Blassie's heat was. His heat was immense down there. But then Blassie moved to the East Coast, and he sort of took SoCal wrestling with him, but it persisted for a long while after. I was into it during the aftermath. It was still exciting, but it wasn't happening at the Coliseum anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I was into it as a kid in the uh, Pacific Northwest. We had uh, we had Rip Oliver and Billy Jack, sure. and a young Roddy Piper. So are you Piper. talking
2: about in Portland or where?
0: Yeah, Portland and Seattle. It was it was a so s-
2: yeah. So my big my big uh, reveal moment. I knew about kayfabe and everything, but you sort of don't accept it. But but right. so I would go to matches in Southern California, but I'd spend summers in Portland with my dad, and I went up in summer of probably eighty or eighty one and uh my dad knew I was into wrestling and he knew a sports writer for the Oregonian named Carl Clough. Right. And uh and he asked Carl whether he'd get us to the matches. He could. So we went to the Sportatorium um to see uh to see the matches and Roddy Piper was there. Yeah. Roddy Piper in Southern California was the heel to beat all heels and he was the most hated. He uh and he really was like the best at it, you know. And so I go to the Portland matches, and now announce Roddy Piper, and I'm ready for the storm of hatred to land on his head. And everybody starts to cheer because he was a hero up there, yeah. even though it was the same character. Right? It wasn't, right? He was he was doing the exact same style, but they were he was he was fighting heels instead of faces, and so. Uh, So, yeah, it was it was it was so weird, like to not boo Roddy Piper was a very strange feeling. Yeah. uh,
0: Well, he stayed the same character. Like even even now, when you see him in in movies, I saw him do a voiceover uh, or I heard him do a voiceover in a cartoon the other day, and it's still the same character.
2: Well, sure, that character is larger than life. It's like Bugs Bunny. It's like, yeah. you know, you start doing it, and you just recognize it immediately. It's like, it's a it's an iconic character.
0: So when you write about uh, wrestling, and when you think about wrestling, is it, are you writing about wrestling of days gone by? Are you watching WWE now?
2: No, I did go to um, the uh, Shikara matches the other night, the CWF. There's a lot of independent wrestling out there right now. There's New Japan, which is incredible, um, that Bob Mould turned me on to. Um, I don't really follow, I don't follow anything now. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I stay really busy and I have two kids, and so like my ability to keep current on anything is zero. It's like I, every year I keep going, get back into baseball. I used to love baseball, right. but I can't. There's like 160 games. <laughs> so yeah. I, can't, I do not have time in my life to be a, a good follower of, of, of stuff anymore. But, so no, I'm not following, but I did go to the rest the match the other night. It was really, really fun.
0: When I was growing up, I, I studied theater in college and I quickly noticed that all the big professional theaters around the country are doing like Wendy Wasserstein plays and and this sort of very uh, upper middle class to upper class kind of approach. And then I'm like, but then there's other theater going on. It's just called wrestling, but it's got it's got character development. It's got conflict. It's it's exactly what the ancient Greeks were into for theater.
2: Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's a huge and interesting subject because theater, the idea of theater is a place where guys in tuxedos who drink, you know, expensive white wine are going to absorb art, this is a very recent idea historically, a pernicious and terrible one. Like theater, (laughs) you know, think about the theater of of Yates, right? Think about, you know, People going to see these plays and getting political messages rioting based on them. You know, uh, at the the world theater, I think it was called in Dublin. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about Shakespeare's audience. You know, Shakespeare's audience was not rich people. It was no. working people who needed a laugh, right, or who or who wanted some gore. You know, and uh, and somewhere after the early twentieth century, uh, and who knows when or why. I like Eugene O'Neill, but that's not exactly. You know the most public-friendly stuff. So somewhere along the line, uh, this idea of theater as as a thing removed from common experience takes hold, and uh, and it's crying shame because there's nothing quite like watching somebody, you know, doing a simulation of life in front of you, you know? that <laughs> you like, can relate something. to. Yeah, yeah, that you can relate to. And in wrestling, it's the same sort of thing as a boxer. I mean, you want you and I aren't going to get beat up. But we're going to feel beat up, right? We're going to experience things that will feel like getting beat to us, like we're right. being, you know, weighed down. Stuff that we would like to triumph over and rise above, and to watch that sort of thing physically play out, and watch people cheat, you know, uh, and have it played for laughs and have it played for for scares is totally great.
0: Yeah. All right. New album coming out April seventh. April seventh. And the name of the
2: album is Beat the Champ.
0: Beat the Champ, and Wolf and White Van continues. To sell like hotcakes and collect a lot of acclaim, and I'm so happy and and proud for you about that that accomplishment. It's a great book.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a remarkable year.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the the one type of theater we can all agree on is is uh, public radio variety theater with comedy and music, because obviously, yes, that is virtuous. And <laughs> hope to have you back on Wits sometime soon. All right, man. Talk to you then. All right. See you, John. Turning to Colombian basketball, that's basketball out of the nation of Colombia, not the university in New York City. Uh, some games recently, Guerreros uh, lost to Baran Cabermeja by a score of 84-74. to 74. Cafeteros. Over Aguilas, 83-82. That was a squeaker. Patriotas lost to Manizales. And, of course, Manizales has uh, Raven Barber on their squad. He's an American player. And Raven Barber is his name, not his occupation. And finally, Marinos de Bolivar over Llaneros... People didn't think it could happen, 106 to 101. Home Dunk is produced by Nina Potok. We get production help from Michael DeMarc and various people around the American Public Media Studios. I'm John Moe. Bye now.